Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Inside the Hive. This is your co-host, Joe Hagan. And where's my other co-host? Where's Emily Jane Fox? Emily? No, she's not here. She's on deadline. In her stead, we have another hiver. That is Joe Pompeo, our media reporter. Hi, Joe. I'm a poor substitute for Emily, I I know, but uh, I appreciate you bringing me on. You know, you're going to do just fine. Don't be nervous. It's okay. And there's two Joes here, so... You know, they could just mix us up, and if you say something dumb, they could just think it's me. They could just think it's you. That's right. So as long as there's two Joes, you have plausible deniability. Joe, you have been busy this week. It has been an incredibly busy week for you. You've got Jeff Zucker, the head of CNN, gone, resigned, or pressured, or or, or sent out to pasture. Defenestrated. That's 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 one one of the best words for these... Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. It's kind of gross, really. But um, but yes, he's been he's been hung out to dry and other kinds of metaphors. And then, uh, you know, right before that, we had this whole Spotify thing. There's crisis in the land. I'm looking on the news right now and, you know, Facebook stock is plummeting. And so uh, the entire world of media is in uh, in chaos. Um, But let's focus on the Jeff Zucker thing, because that is just roiling uh, people who pay attention to the MSM. Well, I mean, Spotify and Joe Rogan already feels like 100 weeks ago, um, because the the Zucker news has been such, it's, it's, um, I think when we decided to have me on, the the thought was like, well, everything this week is Joe Rogan and Spotify, and that all changed uh, pretty quickly yesterday. Now it's all Jeff Zucker. It's all Jeff Zucker. Thanks, Jeff. You're, you've done a big, uh, you did a solid for Joe Rogan on this one. So, you know, Jeff Zucker, for people that don't pay attention to every little blip in the uh, Manhattan media zone, which people in the Manhattan media zone can't believe could be possible, but it is. Not everybody knows who Jeff Zucker or cares, but he is a kind of icon in the TV business, right? He was at M- at NBC. He was uh, Katie Couric's producer during the golden years of the Today Show. In his in his mid twenties, started as a a young producer of the Today Show that took it to new heights. Uh, I think a, you know twenty six year old, uh, something yes. like that. Yeah, he was uh, he was a wonderkin. Yes, as they say, 
he, uh, you know, he rose up uh, in the ranks and there was some sort of interim period uh, where he was working with Katie when she left NBC and then he took over CNN. And we can't not mention uh, that Jeff Zucker's rise at NBC, uh, you know, the rocket under him was Donald Trump, right? He, he established The Apprentice. Just, uh, you know, I wrote a profile of Jeff Zucker in 2004, believe it or not, for uh, the New York Observer. And I was at the uh, NBC upfronts. And uh, for those who aren't in the TV business, it's like a road show to show all the advertisers, like uh, the new season that's going to be on NBC. And so they bring in all the advertisers and they have like uh, basically like an off-Broadway show for them. And and they brought Donald Trump out and he and Zucker were like tight, right? Because Donald Trump was going to save the ratings and he did. And uh, of course, they became a, a partnership, which obviously sets the, uh, you know, that's sort of a, the foreshadowing uh, you can do yourself. But um, so that's Jeff Zucker. And he goes to CNN and everything that you've been hearing lately is kind of the fallout. His, his departure is the fallout from another event, which is bizarrely <laughs> the ouster of Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York last August 24th. So Joe, take a step-by-step like uh, what has happened here? Like, how do we, why, how how do we get th- from Andrew Cuomo resigning to Jeff Zucker being forced to resign? Yeah, which seemingly unrelated, but there is, of course, a, uh, a, a centerpiece to this. Well, tell us the story. So at some point after, in the aftermath of the Cuomo scandal, I think it was the Washington Post, you know, everyone was reporting, digging in, and, and as reporters do, and, and trying to get more, you know, of the backstory of, of different pieces of how this all went down. It came out, I think, in the Washington Post, um, uh, maybe it was Josh Dossie that reported this, that Chris Cuomo, who at the time was CNN's 9 p.m. anchor in primetime, basically, you know, the the centerpiece of CNN's primetime lineup at 9 p.m., um, you know, the biggest ratings, uh, you know, for, for CNN shows, all, all of that. So an important, a very important piece of talent at CNN. Uh, the Washington Post reveals that he had been involved in advising his brother, Andrew Cuomo, uh, you know, kind of in like the war room on, on how to respond to the sexual harassment uh, scandal that was engulfing him. And, you know, that was an interesting and notable and, and pretty bad looking uh, tidbit. But, you know, that's really all that came out. You know, we didn't know how closely involved he was. It was, it was something that they addressed, you know, it, uh, CNN management's you know, talked to him about this. It seemed like, you know, it, it was it was a mistake. He he took ownership of the mistake. Um, the Jeff Zucker and the network stood by him, and they moved on. But of course, with these things, it's always like you know peeling the layers of the onion, right? So, you know, in a nutshell, months months are going by. More and more begins to come out about, uh, you know, there's more focus and scrutiny on Chris Cuomo and Andrew Cuomo. Other things come out from, and I think probably in the process of this. You know, a woman from Chris Cuomo's days at ABC News uh, came forward with a very, um, again, in the, in the scale of Me Too, you know, not something that was um, a criminal offense or anything like that, but a very inappropriate sexual harassment sort of misconduct uh, incident where he had, you know, uh, grabbed her buttocks at, at a party kind of in jest and, you know, had a, he had apologized for this at the time. So she comes out, that comes out, um, and this, the heat is now just rising on on Chris Cuomo and CNN. And there's there's people uh, in the media who who feel like CNN should have 
got rid, you know, they should have canned it, you know, to begin with. The other thing that's worth noting here is that during the pandemic, before all of this, Chris Cuomo uh, had brought his brother Andrew Cuomo on for a series of, you know, very light, you know, interviews. Really, at the height of the pandemic, when when Cuomo at the time was seen as one of the kind of hero politicians right. that were getting getting people through. So even then, at the time, you know, the kind of um, the journalism ethics police thought that that was that was very inappropriate. You know, I think people at CNN felt obviously they're brothers. You know, they're they're putting this on in a certain context at a moment when you know America wants to hear from Andrew Cuomo, and you know clearly this is something that Jeff Zucker would have sanctioned, and and yada yada yada. But now that comes back, you know, people are starting to re-prosecute that episode. Um, but really, so fast forwarding to later in the fall uh, when the New York Attorney General's office's report about the. Cuomo scandal is coming out. They release a much more damning portrait of how involved Chris Cuomo had been in Andrew Cuomo's war room, to the point where he was playing, or you know, he was he was texting Andrew Cuomo's fearsome trusted aide Melissa DeRosa. That's actually how all this information came out because her texts were subpoenaed. So her texts with Chris Cuomo were released as part of this in- investigation, and it was everything from like you know we hear Ronan Farrow's on working on a story for the New Yorker. What can you find out? To Chris Cuomo kind of bringing tips he heard about maybe this accuser is is kind of full of it there, stuff that was very it it if it didn't cross the line to begin with in the eyes of yeah. CNN this stuff very much it crosses the line and it's a very bad look people at CNN other journalists they're not happy about this at all they're sick of kind of like the taint around you know Chris Cuomo's involvement of this and Jeff Zucker is furious when he when he hears about this as i reported uh, for vanity fair um, he was pretty much ready to fire him when this came out on a monday but you know he cooled he cooled off you know, they, 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 they talked and what really sunk Chris Cuomo in the end was that they felt that he was not truthful and not upfront about his involvement in this. Chris Cuomo, I think, believes that he was, um, but Jeff Zucker and management feel like we did not know how closely involved you were. And later that, that week that these, this all came out, um, Jeff Zucker calls Chris Cuomo and fires him. That sets in motion the chain of events that have since unfolded, where yeah. now there's an investigation at CNN, at Warner Media, the parent company of CNN. Um, you know they've retained lawyers to look into this this Chris Cuomo matter. Chris Cuomo retains lawyers. He retains Brian Friedman, who had handled Megyn Kelly's exit from NBC in a very sort of scorched earth sort of way. So it's basically now it's a hostile situation, and there's an investigation. Yeah within Warner Media about how this all went down. Um, and Chris Cuomo has his lawyers and his attorneys. They're clearly like, uh, you know, talking to, I think they, he was fired for cause. So that means he's not paid out what remains in his contract. So we presume there will be some sort of legal action, action or settlement. In the context of all this very recently, I know this is a very long-winded answer to your question, but we're arriving no, finally I, at, the, at, well, the crucial, yeah. at the crucial moment where, um, you know, apparently in recent weeks, this relationship that Jeff Zucker has now admitted to having with Alison Golist, who is his closest deputy consigliere confidant for a long time, going back to their time at NBC, they reveal that they've, they, they, they acknowledge that they have, they are now in a, in a romantic relationship. This came out vis-a-vis, you know, the investigation and it seems- Into Cuomo. 
from Cuomo, Chris Cuomo, you know, has raised has raised this. It's come up. Um, of course and- he did. He's like, these guys are like street fighters, right? They're like, oh, you're going to get me? I'm going to get you. Well, at least that's what it appears to be. On that's the, what it on appears the, to be. Surface. And, you know, I and other reporters have do have some reporting that indicates that Chris Cuomo – I mean, I, I've talked to people, and I think Dylan Byers reported this as well, where he's, he, brought, he brought the relationship up after he was fired to former colleagues at CNN, you know, in, in a way that yeah, yeah, yeah. clearly will have that, you know, that, how, is, how is that okay? Um, but Cuomo's camp has pushed back on the notion that there's any sort of vengeance at Tit play or that yeah. they use, you know, in any way brought up the relationship in, in any sort of way to gain leverage in, in the, whatever negotiations they are, they're going to be in, involved in. So anyway... This comes out, um, I believe, last week, and brings us to yesterday morning. I was on the Peloton. I had just um, spent the past few days <laughs> reporting, you know, a story on this whole Joe Rogan Spotify fiasco, and I was tired from that. And I was thinking this should be an easy day. I'll catch up on other things I'm reporting for the magazine or whatever else. My phone starts going off midway through my workout, and uh, around eleven. AM or so, it was revealed to the world that Jeff Zucker, the powerful, as you say, iconic mm-hmm. uh, president of CNN, has resigned over this and, and completely stunned not only CNN um, and all the journalists there and, and other executives there who are, who are left shell-shocked, but really the whole the, the media world. Right. And ever since then, it's just been a pile-on of, of everyone trying to get any piece of this story. Well, and can. trying to figure out what it is, because it's... On the surface, it's one thing, but then it, a lot of it doesn't make sense. And let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So, and there's so much. I mean, I would say there's so much to get into. I don't. I don't even. And we should say we're taping this at um, Thursday afternoon, and who knows what will, what what may have emerged by the time this podcast. Uh, I'm afraid of airs. that. I'm afraid of that. I don't. You know, it's easy, uh, as you mentioned, even with the Rogan Spotify thing, to uh, become old news in 24 hours. But so let me just uh, back up here for a second. There's two other. Uh, you know, we've established that out of the Chris Cuomo investigation into his behavior and his relationship with his brother, that uh, somehow uh, pressure came on to Jeff Zucker because it was revealed he was having a relationship with another employee. Okay. This other employee, Allison Gullist, she's sort of like, you know, the spokesperson. And I I had dealt with her in the past as a reporter myself. Yeah, everyone, if yeah. you've covered media or cable yeah. TV news, you've, you've dealt with Allison. I had coffee with her at some point in my life. And and everybody knew about this relationship. It was the least secret thing in town if you paid any attention to the media. It was actually, it's, I feel remiss uh, having had uh, Katie Couric on this podcast and not asked her about it. We had lots of other things to talk about, but she I remember- she very, she very strongly hinted at it in her in her. Oh, I, I remember <laughs> reading the book and going, oh my God, she's outing Jeff Zucker in, in his relationship with Allison Gullis. Well, right we, should, we should say for the record, there was never any official confirmation. So, you know, it's, it's no one except besides, I guess, Jeff and Allison really know the truth of their yes. relationship at one of her grass. But what, what we do know now is that Everyone has believed this for some number of years, and the tabloids too, especially the New York Post, has tiptoed very close in recent years to kind of putting this out there. Sure, um, and are now just that's all they're writing about. Basically, is how hypocritical it is that um, Jeff Zucker and Allison Golis have been in this relationship and lying about it. But um, yeah, but your, to your point, yes, this is something that people whispered about right. for years, and is was kind of accepted amongst. Some people at CNN as a possibility, a probability, something that people just kind of accepted might be going on. 
I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new a translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Oh. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> And by the way, with their previous spouses, they lived one apartment on top of the other. They lived in the same building in some kind yes. of, you know, uh, upstairs, downstairs sort of scenario, which is just strange. And and there's another cross current here. And this has something to do with what's going on right now and, and us trying to make heads or tails of this. Even before Andrew Cuomo... Uh, was, you know, resigned as governor and set all of this weirdness into motion. Uh, it was announced that CNN's parent company, Warner Media, was going to acquire or merge with Discovery. And, okay, so you're saying, what does that mean? What that means is that um, Jeff Zucker's career prospects were, you know, believed to be going up that his long-term prospects at CNN and the whole company at large uh, was going to improve. And why is that? Because one of his best friends is the head of the company that they were merging with, and people believed he was not about to resign or be fired over some quote-unquote scandal, but actually be promoted or become even a bigger honcho. Um, a bigger honcho within this new merged company, which will be called Warner Brothers Discovery, which will encompass everything from, um, you know, the, the Warner Film Library and Studio to all sorts of amazing IP, HBO and CNN, and then all the Discovery kind of reality programming. It's a much bigger, one of the big, massive media players that is emerging in, in this new streaming world. Right. So that's suddenly... Boom, that's over, right? And uh, so two other weird pieces of information that, uh, that I want you to kind of, you know, riff on here for a second. One is, is that Alison Gullist, the, the mistress, I don't know what, what we're to call her, their, you know, girlfriend, is still at CNN. She didn't get fired. So just Jeff is leaving now. So she's, you know. Just Jeff is leaving, yes. yes. And, and um, I think people suspect Allison will probably not, stick around for very long. This new company is going to be, assuming that the, the the regulators approve this, which we believe they will at this point, the deal is expected to close in a couple of months. There was already a question before this about who will stay and, and who will go. And even Zucker, you know, he hasn't officially said what he would what his intentions were, but before this, it was believed very much that he would not stick around. Before this merger came onto the scene, yeah. it was believed that Jecker, Jeff Zucker may just write out his contract. Um, and, and then move on. But now, yes, now uh, Al Allison is still the head of communications and marketing for CNN. There's a few things I want to note here. So 
in this situation, and this is why I think this this ran afoul of Warner Media's you know corporate governance guidelines about relationships with with co- there, when these situations are really bad, it involves someone having a relationship with someone much more junior, someone who is a superior having a relationship with one of their reports, and there's many different levels of power between those two things. Right. Jeff Zucker and Allison Golist are both seen as very, very powerful. Um, and as we pointed out, they've, they've worked together for 20 years. They've been described as being attached at the hip, you know, even just That's in a right. professional sense. They are in each other's brains. They're very close colleagues. Allison does not, she, she reports officially in, in her capacity as the communications director to the head of communications for Warner Media, which mm. is Christy Halberger. And that is actually something that was controversial and plays into this. I hope I'm not getting too into the weeds for our listeners who are like, it's, you know, trying to, to keep track of all this stuff. Think about succession, people. This is like, a, you know, this is corporate intrigue. You, you, you know, just, you know, d- use your imagination. So the man who is the current CEO of Warner Media, Jason Kyler, who pretty much fired Jeff Zucker, Zucker yeah. He knows Jeff Zucker also from the NBC days because he had run, uh, Kyler had run Hulu, um, which is originally a joint partnership with NBC and News Corp and uh, is now within the, 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 the Disney ABC universe. But he had had some friction in the fall of 2020 with Zucker. And this stemmed from a move which is germane to what we're talking about now, where he took away some of Jeff's oversight, which included you know his oversight of communications, which Allison Golis runs. So he in a very kind of swift move, pulled the rug out of from under Jeff's feet. Um, and very suddenly, he had like less than a day's notice. He was he was furious about this. Suddenly, um, some of his direct reports are not reporting to him anymore. Allison Golis is now reporting to Warner Media. So there's a universe where, yes, when I was reporting this, some people pointed out to me, she's not even, you know, she reports to a different boss, actually. Mm-hmm. She reports to Christy Halberger. It was also pointed out to me, well, in her capacity as chief marketing officer, she's technically still reports up to Jeff Zucker, all of which is to say it's not a clear-cut case of like, you know, Jeff Zucker is someone who has the power over this woman's career. You know, it's it's yeah. it's very gray. And I think people at CNN feel that whatever anyone else feels about this, there's a lot of people who feel this is inappropriate no matter how you slice it. But at CNN, they feel like the punishment does not fit the crime here for these very reasons that the power dynamic is not mm-hmm. such that, um, right. as, as it would be in some of these other, other kind of me too yeah. areas. Well, I would agree. It's ridiculous because everybody already knew about it. And, and th- but there's the funny little piece of reporting in the, uh, in the times version of all these events, the New York times, Jason Kyler, the chief executive Warner media guy who fired Jeff Zucker has told CNN journalists at the meeting in its Washington bureau on Wednesday, that was yesterday as we sit here and speak, that he was, quote, not aware of the relationship before recent events. Now, who, raise your hand if you buy that. I mean, I don't. I mean, this he's known him since the NBC days, and he's not aware of this thing that's happening, like, right in front of it, under his own nose? Well, I, I will say, you know, to... To play devil's advocate, Sean McCreesh in New York Magazine, who's who's kind of like uh, a new face on on the beat here, and is, it does really good stuff. He had some hilarious line in his story about all this. About um, it was a parenthetical about this is why you don't hire these Silicon Valley tech guys to run media companies because they don't have any of the good gossip. Um, so t- take that for what for what you will. Well, you, but, um, but but just to bring it back to this secession kind of uh, limited TV series version of viewing this. He doesn't have any kind of like consigliaries around him who like tell him what's going on. 
this is making me question Jason Kyler, not Jeff Zucker, or he does know, or he is aware. And when he, I think he has claimed, I think I saw that he claims that. So there was a, there was a little scene until now gossip item in radar, which is kind of like a very, um, shall we say down market, um, uh, online tabloid brand, but they did report on this, on this relationship uh, in early January. And, you know, I think there's a lot of suspicion that, you know, the Cuomo people were like trying to, trying to shop this story around. Yeah. I got a denial to that from, from Cuomo world. Um, but Kyler did see that story in early January, but I think he has said even that didn't think much of it because it's, it's radar online. It's this, 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 you know, this rag or whatever. But what do you think about, let's, let's just speculate here for a second. When he split the corporate ladder, you know, the corporate um, reporting. Restructured the yeah, reporting Yeah, to make it or, so that Allison reported up, you know, on his side of the fence, right? Reported up to Time Warner rather than to Jeff. That seemed, would seem to be a personal strike if indeed he knew about the relationship. You see what I'm saying? Well, I think a lot of people think that firing or compelling Jeff Zucker to resign is a personal strike. That is a, that is a sentiment that is very strong yes. inside CNN right. right now. And again, you know, in my conversations um, with, uh, shall we say, Warner Media World, uh, the belief is very much, this is clear cut. This is a violation of our corporate governance. And in fact, this is not a disproportionate response. That That is, uh, I think, not going over well with, within CNN. Journalists are fiercely, fiercely loyal to Jeff Zucker. And we're not just, we're talking rank and file, but also the very, the top talent, many of, you know, some of whom have come out publicly in defense of Jeff Zucker. I mean, everyone there is just devastated yeah. right now. I was talking to a source yesterday, pretty high up in the organization. And I just felt like I was talking to someone who just came back from a funeral. It was that dour. Well, and just for, for people listening out there for a minute, you know, what you see on your screen, which is what most people know of CNN, Right. Uh, what you're seeing is the summation of a culture that has been created, and that culture is all flowing from Jeff Zucker, right? He's a, he's the curator of this network you're watching. You know, he's he's watching to see what people respond to, and he's rearranging the. And he's in the earpiece. He's famously hands-on. That's right. He likes to get in the production booth, and and you know he he will get right in there, and he's helping these. And they like that. The talent likes that. That's right. They're having like the greatest producer in TV news of the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, you know, he's got their back, right? So it makes sense that uh, the staff there saw him as their leader. He had their back. He's a pro. He knows what they're there to do. Uh, there's all this corporate intrigue. He obviously had some kind of uh, got betwixt and between with uh, his boss, and the boss says, okay, you're, we'll find a reason to cut you out of here, and this is the reason, right? But on the other side of the fence, let's talk about whether Jeff Zucker's legacy at CNN is um, as golden as they would think it is, right? Because on the outside world, there's another view of Jeff Zucker. And that's, uh, you know, today in the New York Times, sorry, in the Washington Post column is saying, you know, his legacy is defined by his promotion of Donald Trump. Yes. And that is, that is something that he will never live down amongst a certain, you know, the, um, yes. uh, you know, the liberal yes. commentariat, I think. Hold up. 
You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Exactly. And and it didn't just extend. It wasn't just that he helped Trump reinvent himself as a reality TV star, which was one thing right back then. How could he have known that Trump was going to have political aspirations? You know, it wasn't the most obvious thing. He just was thinking about ratings, Jeff Zucker. Right. And it worked for him then. But then flash forward to 2015 and Trump is running for president. Um, and through the time that Trump is running and even when he was president of the United States, CNN, gave him a lot of airtime, right? They put his allies on TV. They broadcast his rallies. And basically, um, in so, in, you know, were a handmaiden to some degree uh, with promoting Trump. You know, you have a more objective view. You see both sides. You're a, a great reporter. What do you think about that? Give me your your sort of review of him as like a as as Jeff Zucker as kind of like a tarnished Trump enabler. Well, I think you know when when uh, at some point in the future, when hopefully many years from now, when you read Jeff Zucker's obituary, I'm sure that that's going to be a part of it. You know, that's going to yep. be the the negative stuff, right? And yeah. I and I think it's true that even just seeing in my in my Twitter responses to other you know the, the stories that I um, the story I did yesterday and all sorts of random people on Twitter come out of the woodwork. Um, and I mean, there was one woman who was tweeting something about like, this feels like to me, these, these, all these CNN staffers, you know, falling on the sword for their devoted boss. It feels, it feels to me, she said like the same thing with, uh, the Fox staffers when Roger Ailes left. I mean, let's, let's be clear that there's a very vast (laughs) gulf, a vast gulf between Roger Ailes and Jeff Zucker, but she was like, it's like Stockholm syndrome. I think that you're always going to see your, that criticism, I think will never go away. I think Zucker has has addressed it and and atoned for it and says he regrets that that probably will never be enough. I think people will never, there are some people who are never going to forgive him and CNN for that. Um, But we should also note that CNN through all, you know, not just, in the campaigns uh, in, in leading up to the 2016 election, but into the Trump presidency was a great beneficiary of the fireworks of and all the chaos of the Trump, as, as was the entire media. Um, but especially CNN, which has always you know, perennially been the sort of beat down third place network, which Jeff Zucker revived, you know, even before Trump kind of pulled them out of this really yes. bad slump they were in. Um, but their ratings, they had some of their best ratings ever. Um, which still were much lower than Fox News and, and MSNBC, but some of the best ratings CNN had 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 seen um, in its history, and and big revenues, and a lot of that did have to do, as you point out, with the fact they brought on people that were kind of spewing the Trump talking points, these people like Jeffrey Lord or who or whoever Steve Cortez, and and there was this really dramatic television that was very compelling to watch, these screaming matches between you know MAGA people and non MAGA people, yeah, um, and and. And I think that people would even probably extend the criticism of CNN into that. But, you know, CNN also did do some of the most aggressive sure. reporting on the administration and I think really went hard in the other direction to the point where now, you know, I think there's people who 
you know, they view it as a liberal network as much as they view MSNBC as a liberal network. They, they, they went really hard in the administration. Trump hated them. Um, you know, the Trump administration tried to stop the merger of AT&T and Time Warner, possibly because of CNN. That's the suspicion, at least. So, you know, they, they, they kind of went to war with the Trump administration, too. So I think you have to view the full picture there. Um, the criticism, I think, is certainly fair. Um, but CNN also emerged as one of the major antagonists of, of the of the Trump administration over those four years. And, you know, Jeff Zucker drove that. Um, and it also made for good TV and good ratings. So maybe in the end, it's all, you know, TV news in the end, cable news, you, know, you have a very cynical view of it that it's just all about the ratings, um, which is why, you know, you see some of the Fox News primetime hosts get away with what they get away with because they are drawing in so many people, so many viewers yeah. uh, that the Murdochs, you know, just let it happen. But, um, Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say about 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 that. You know, you kind of have to look at, at at both those things. Do they balance? Does one cancel out the other? Uh, it's not for me to say, but um, right. Well, that's well what I think. one of the things that I think that is a takeaway from it, uh, we can make our judgments about Jeff Zucker. But Jeff Zucker, uh, whether he consciously did it or not, or was a part of it or not, and it really doesn't matter. But the world that has shaped up during the time of his career, has been one in which politics and media have basically merged. It started with Fox. They sort of like, you know, did it in a shameless way. And then everybody followed at some point or another. And, you know, here's Jeff Zucker. He helped invent Donald Trump, who is the ultimate, uh, you know, Frankenstein's monster of the marriage. To whatever degree, he's a handmaiden for something, but it was just where the, it was where things were going. Right. I was just going to jump in and say, like, as an extension of this, even now with this decision, you can't really detach politics because even though we are now in this new administration, um, you know, running a, a TV news channel, there's, it's always going to be hot. It's always going to be a lot of heat. And people really feel like Jeff Zucker is someone that has their back as journalists when they're coming under fire from a hostile administration or, or whatever it is. And they're right. not really, a, they're not susceptible to that now the way they were, but Who's to say what changes? What you know, you, you don't know how things go. We could have Trump again and running in in in, in another few years as president. I mean, who who knows what things will look like in a few years from now? And people really feel like Jeff Zucker um, has their back to the point where I, I will say this is a little tidbit from my reporting, which goes back to this meeting you referenced last night, where Jason Kyler met with the yes. the DC bureau, and it was it did not go well. People I heard from a this been reported some of the anchors, some of the top talent that were really grilling and pressing Jason, Jason Kyler on this as if it was like a White House press briefing. There is one correspondent who said during this meeting to Jason Kyler that they had received phone calls from four members of Congress on the January 6th committee uh, that were concerned about this, you know, what, what this could mean. You know, so, I mean, that's, uh, I think, how um, people look at Jeff Zucker inside the network as someone who's going to protect them from political pressure and and really have their backs in these sorts of situations. Um, and people outside uh, of CNN too, I think, 
maybe that's a little dramatic, uh, Congress people calling and say, you know, from the January 6th committee, but, but still, I mean, that's, that's in the air at that level is, is interesting. And I think you can't detach politics. Yeah. Unpack that. that for me about the January 6th people. What they would, what was their, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I haven't pursued this too much, so I don't want to go too into it. Cause yeah. I just was, I was texting with some sources this morning. Sure. Um, that was an interesting piece of information that, that came out of this, that came out of this very hostile firing meeting, firing meeting with Jason Kyler last night. But I think the point was to show, um, to tell Jason Kyler, like, you don't know what you've just pushed out the door. And I think that there's a certain level of hostility towards, towards, towards Kyler because as this merger happens in a couple of months, he is not expected to stick around. He's expected to be gone in a few months. So people feel like this guy just, just you know, defenestrated yes. their, their, <laughs> their, yes. their loyal leader um, and has left them adrift and left them you know, astray at this crucial moment for the network. And he's going to be gone in a few months anyway. So I think that that coming up, they wanted to show, I think they, they wanted to show him how important uh, Jeff Zucker is to their network as they, as they see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, moments ago we were talking about Jeff Zucker's legacy and, uh, on the one hand, protecting reporters and giving them cover when they need to cover hot stuff that's going to blow up, right? And, uh, you know, one of the beneficiaries of maybe the criticism of Zucker and his relationship with Trump over the years has been Jake Tapper. Um, you know, Jake Tapper has been able to kind of rise in the company as a critic of Trump and a kind of truth teller about January 6th in particular. And... Um, in many ways, you know, maybe in my mind, I guess, has balanced things out for them in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, as a result, become a star in his own right um, in the network. And he was there, of course, he was like the primary face during the election uh, last year. Um, and he's so, not, he doesn't, he's not as ideological, he's not perceived as being as ideological as Chris Cuomo was or, or No, or he's not that kind of anchor, right? He's, he's, uh, he's cooler, Right. Um, in his approach, a little more like deadpan, a little more, yes. you know, just like, yes, if you're saying some bullshit, I'm just going to look at you like, yeah, that, <laughs> you yeah exactly. I, the, the podcast listeners won't see my face right now, but I was kind of doing like the, yeah, he has a very, um, Gen X kind yeah. of, um, palette, right. Emotion Came from salon.com in the early days. Very Gen X. Yeah. Right. So I, and which I, he's been on this podcast a few times and I like him a lot. Um, he's funny and, uh, savvy. Right. Um, well, he's very savvy. Jake Tapper, I should say, just to, I hope I'm not hijacking where you were going with no, this, please. but at this meeting last night, he spoke up and he pretty much said, and you could picture him saying this to Jason Kyler the way he would like challenge a guest on one of his shows, but he apparently said something like, how, how are we not supposed to look at this as Chris Cuomo pissed off? Um, you know, comes back with guns blazing, and basically the the bad guy has won here. You know, he 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 challenged uh, mm. Kyler on this on this very point, just brought it up very bluntly. Yeah. Um. And I, and I think from what I hear and from what others reported, none of Kyler's responses are very satisfactory. He's basically just said, "I feel very comfortable in this decision." But yeah, someone like Jake Tapper was going out there and um, you know, just bringing it right to the CEO. Yeah. That, like I think you you kind of. Feels like you kind of screwed this up to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you're reminding me that when uh, Jake was on this show, I asked him about uh, Jeff Zucker's legacy and his relationship to Trump, and did that bother him? What did he What did he say? Well, he defended Zucker, and uh, you know, 
I, I don't remember all the details of it, and I'll I'll refer people to it later to that episode, and we can go back and and get his actual quotes. But um, but he defended Zucker, and um, you know, it was obviously a uh, not the first time he'd answered that question, right? Um, because that's what you know, critics of the network come at you with for the last few years was Jeff Zucker and that whole thing. But well, now it's all over. And, uh, you know, you and I have been in this business long enough to know that um, all of these power brokers, uh, you know, their their careers usually end in some sort of spectacular gossip explosion. And um, so this is sort of par for the course on that. And uh, there's nothing that um, New York, Washington corridor media loves more and it will obsess on more than, uh, you know, some corporate intrigue like this. And um, here we are doing it, fulfilling our roles, uh, doing that. I, I saw as gossips. S- as gossips, yeah. And I saw something on the um, on Twitter earlier where a guy was just joking that nobody uh, west of the Hudson cares about this story or even knows who Jeff Zucker is. But um, for those who— I de- disagree with that because yeah. this is the kind of story like I got my mom was texting me like, you know, before I wrote anything on it. Oh, my God, Jeff Zucker. You know, I, th- I think this—, this um, I think this is one of those stories that it pierces the bubble of the normal people um, yes. outside of the media a little bit. Before I let you go, Joe, we need to quickly touch on the Spotify Joe Rogan thing, even though it happened 48 years ago uh, in media time. You know, Kevin Roos wrote a piece in the Times the other day that kind of talks about how this is sort of, uh, you know, an echo of lots of other situations, which uh, platform agnostic, you know, companies that like a Twitter or a Facebook, you know, one minute they're just sort of, you know, we're not taking sides on anything. We just it's free speech, put whatever you want on our platform. And then they get into a situation where they can no longer do that. And COVID has been forcing the hand of a lot of people, as did Trump uh, with with Twitter. What do you say, what's the sort of argument, if you can encapsulate it for us, on what this means for free speech, right? Because the, the argument is he should be able to say anything, right? And, you know, some people can believe it and some people can't, and there can be a contrary voice that comes on. So... You know, we, but everybody's protesting it and saying you sh- I should, you know, not be on Spotify anymore. I have friends texting me, "Are you getting off Spotify?" So, what do you what do you think? Well, I think the question is, you know, for these companies, is who I, I, I use this example with. Uh, this is, you know, not Spotify, but with Substack. They're they're in this in the hot seat with this right now too. Also, over having some prominent anti-vax type people on their platform, in, including Alex Berenson, who was kicked off Twitter for. Right. Spreading spreading mis- misinformation um, about vaccines and whatnot, and I, I said, well, you know, you could make the argument that you know Alex Berenson is free to publish a fanzine about you know whatever he wants. He's free. You know, there's many ways that someone can publish something and have free speech and not be thrown in jail as they would be an undemocratic society or an authoritarian regime or or whatever. So the question is for the platforms, you know, to what extent are they willing to rein things in when they arguably run afoul of the public good. So in the case of Joe Rogan, who brings on controversial guests and kind of gets into this zone of like, I'm just trying to hear both sides and find the truth and yeah, yeah. And, and whatnot, you get into a situation where you know, he has uh, reportedly 11 million, 
listeners per episode. So some unknown number of them may hear something about vaccines being bad or, or, or whatever and decide you know, that might inform their personal health decisions. And I think people in the scientific community feel like that's very dangerous right now and we shouldn't be allowing that. And Spotify doesn't have to, I mean, they kind of have to now because they have a hundred million dollar <laughs> contract with Joe yeah, Rogan, yeah, but yeah. any of these platforms, you don't have, it's not, you know, these are still private companies. I you know Kara Swisher would be a great person to, to, to talk to about this. She had a great tweet that was something like, you know, you call it censorship, but I would call it just editing for factual accuracy, right? Um, mm-hmm. The New York Times or Vanity Fair does not publish things under the, you know, that are considered misinformation or... or right. Cur- you're curating. But, but Spotify you're, you're, you're is... You're curating. An, yeah. But they're not a news organization. Yeah, but they're not a publisher. Yeah, that's right. They're not they're, a news organization. Yeah. But the lines are being blurred. You know, the lines are being blurred because the, you know, these platforms are so dependent on content now. And, and Spotify in particular is dependent on content now because, you know, the, the business model um, that really by which they really reshaped the music industry is one in which, you know, they are giving 70% back of the revenues from music back to the artists, back to the record labels, the license holders. Um, so that's why they, you know, they expanded into, uh, you know, have another path where they weren't doing that. And also where if you bring someone like Joe Rogan, you're immediately bringing over his massive audience. They're becoming Spotify subscribers. You're growing your subscriber base. But th- so they're dependent on content. Facebook is dependent on content. You know, all these places are dependent on content that is some that is editorial that is that involves news that involves all these things. So and that's why it's it's a really um, fine line and a, and a blurrier one. Yeah, it's tricky. They and they what they need is the equivalent of like an ombudsman or something. You know, they need somebody who can judge. You know, whether do we need to step in here? And you know, they're put, talking about putting warning labels on it and everything. But but you know, over and above this whole Joe Rogan misinformation free speech conversation. Preceding this was the conversation about how Spotify is just, you know, ripping off all the the artists, the musicians. I mean, you know, the artists, right? It's always had a hostile relationship with the music community, and for some of them now, like the Neil Youngs and Joni Mitchells, who have, yeah, you know, said we want to pull our stuff off now um, in, in protest, and some other, you know, kind of uh, smaller than Joni Mitchell or Neil Young level artists as well. Yeah. But you know, Spotify still has a lot of the power in this situation. And I think everyone was waiting over the past week to see if this would really catch fire into a moment where Taylor Swift comes out and does something or Drake or any of the really, the artists that really have a lot of clout and power, but that that hasn't happened. You know, I think in this situation, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell had the power to really turn this into a massive crisis public relations crisis, at least for, for Spotify. And, and to an extent, uh, financial crisis, they had you know, some stock uh, fall off out of this, but they don't have the power that a Taylor Swift or someone else does. And no. therefore, it seems like Spotify at the end of the day still has the power in this. Well, absolutely. And, and I want to point out an interesting irony in the whole thing is uh, everybody I'm sure has read that a lot of these legacy artists are selling their catalogs. Right, they're selling, they're publishing. Springsteen sold his entire catalog for five hundred million, and um, I called uh, my friend David Crosby the other day. It's true, I actually have his phone number and call him once in a while for stories that I've written about folk rockers since I wrote a book about Rolling Stone ages ago. 
And I said, so what are you thinking about all this? And he goes, well, I want my music pulled off of Spotify. Yeah, did you, I was just going to say, did you, are you, were you the catalyst for, for uh, Crosby coming? Well, he said, I'm going to do it. He said, I, I want to do it. And I said, um, but I said, David, you sold your catalog. What is, what's the implication of that? He's like, you're right. I sold my revenue stream. I can't tell them to take it off. I can only ask them. And then CSNY came out like two days after I talked to David saying, we're officially removing all of our stuff from Spotify. Well, guess what? It's still on it. I'm looking right at it. I'm on Spotify. I can play Deja Vu right now if I want to. I think to. Joni Mitchell's still on there, right? That's still being... Yeah, because in some cases, they don't actually have the power to do it, right? They don't actually own... I don't know about Joni, but I know that David doesn't. So kind of an interesting twist because right before all this, you had all these guys selling their catalogs. Well, you can't protest if you don't own your own catalog anymore, right? Mm-hmm. But what a strange uh, world we're living in, Joe. Things are fast and furious. We're just trying to wrap our minds around it as it goes. It's a very mercurial time, a creative, destructive time. You know, we're going to look back five years from now and the world will probably be already like uh, even unrecognizable from where we stand today. And we'll look back on all this and and uh, we'll know what it all means. But as we're here today, we're just just scratching the surface. Well, for the moment, let's just cross our fingers that before tomorrow when this airs, one of two things doesn't happen, which would be Taylor Swift pulling her music off Spotify or some new evil you know, investigation about uh, bad things Jeff Zucker has done coming out that I, would, would pretty yes. much um, you yes. know, obliterate, <laughs> this this. Complete, this, obliterate our whole conversation. That's um, right. So knock on wood, but I was happy to uh, help unpack all of this. Well, it had to be done. And listeners. even if there is a big shoe that drops, uh, you know, they're going to need to hear your um, entertaining explanations of the of the prehistory of it. But uh, probably nothing will, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say, I don't think any of those things are going to happen in the next 24 hours. Uh, but, you know, never say never. But for those uh, who want to uh, hear more from Evelyn Jane Fox, she's going to be back next week. Keep an eye on The Hive where there, she's going to have some reporting coming out sooner rather than later. And there's going to be more uh, reporting from Joe Pompeo. I, I would imagine. So pay attention to his column. Uh, follow him on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Just my name, first and last. Joe Pompeo, at Joe Pompeo. Uh, on that note, Joe, thank you for coming on Inside the Hive, man. Thank you. And that's our episode this week. I'd like to thank our guest, Joe Pompeo, media reporter for The Hive. Thanks for coming on Inside the Hive. Thank you to our producer, Brett Fuchs, and the good people at Cadence 13 who helped make this podcast happen. If you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more, and you're eager for some Emily Jane Fox to come back in the mix, hit subscribe. Come back to us next week. Please support our sponsors the way they support this program, and we'll see you next week. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts.